It's the 25th of May, 2018. This is the Room Now Week in Review. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This week in the news, we have good news for you bone mavens, you DEXA heads. Exciting news. What is a DSMB, the Data Safety Monitoring Board, and why they're rising to the occasion? And what lupus will and what lupus won't do? This and more. At the top of the news, we have a lupus studies uh, one coming from Denmark, a very large population-based study, looked at the frequency of cutaneous lupus erythematosus. You know, this is a unique subset that often doesn't get a lot of uh, attention, doesn't often have uh, any drug indications or even dedicated studies, but yet it's highly important, and the interface between rheumatologists and dermatologists on CLE is an important one. But what is the actual uh, prevalence of this problem? Well, in Denmark, uh, the prevalence they found to be 2.74 cases of CLE per 100,000 individuals with a female to male ratio of four to one. Uh, they say this was sort of under what they might have expected based on other estimates, but this is what they came up with. More importantly, they did show that of the CLE population, this very large population they did come up with, the 10-year risk of those people converting to systemic lupus, SLE, was only 13%. But it did take 10 years. The total number was 8% of all individuals, but the 10-year risk was 13%. Don't ask me how they did it. But nonetheless, it does say there is a, su a small subset of these people who will go on to develop lupus. This is more likely in women and more likely in those, not surprisingly, with subacute cutaneous lupus erythematosus, anti-Rho positive, etc. So it might tell you something about maybe who you should look at more closely if they just have CLE. Another interesting study comes from a registry of 509 women who have lupus and looked at what happened with their offspring. Specifically, do the offspring of lupus patients develop more autoimmune disease? Well, amongst the offspring, there was, what, 720 children born to these 509 women. They compared it to a very large uh, control cohort and found that no, they did not have a higher rate of systemic or rheumatic autoimmune disease uh, in amongst the children. So that's good news, and good news for you have to have to give counseling to your patients who have lupus. Uh, New England Journal uh, this week actually had an interesting uh, letter to the editor from a, a Japan a, a group in Japan that looked at their Kawasaki population. Uh, Kawasaki's is much more popular and much more common in Japan. I don't think it's popular. But nonetheless, they actually looked at their 1,945 patients and looked at the onset of Kawasaki's based on the seasons. Uh, and I, they had some interesting findings. Basically, if the, the child was under age four months, that the majority of them, 60% or so, had their onset during summer and fall. However, for children who had the onset of Kawasaki's at uh, 84 months or seven years of age or more, the majority of those, 60% or so, had their onset during winter and spring. This says something about the, maybe this, not just the seasonal nature of this, but the role of infections and may be important in helping to develop preventative strategies uh, in the very young uh, and in children of middle age, sort of like around six, seven, eight. Sandoz announced this week that they have uh, received a new biosimilar approval for their biosimilar version of infliximab. This one is called Zesli. Very happy kind of name, Zesli. Um, approved by the European Commission. It will have the same 
uh, approvals, as does infliximab for rheumatoid arthritis, adult and pediatric Crohn's, adult and pediatric uh, ulcerative colitis, AS, uh, psoriatic arthritis, and plaque psoriasis. Good news in the EU. Um, again, we have a number of biologics here in the United States. They're slow to get going, aren't they? But we'll see more of that in the future. Uh, an interesting study uh, looked at how to best study patients with scleroderma with regard to their lung disease. Many of us, you know, typically reflexly will order PFTs and DLCO and look at that DLCO as evidence of what may be going on in the interstitial lung spaces of our, our scleroderma patients um, and use that as maybe a, a, a sign of whether they have active ILD or whether they're getting worse, etc. Turns out though, the DLCO is not that useful a, 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 a parameter in that it's quite subject to variation and how it's done and when it's done. And if you do it every day, seven days in a row, you won't get the same results. Some uh, lung experts uh, advocate more strongly for FVC and or, which is forced vital capacity and or total lung capacity, TLC. Well, this particular paper that's, that you can look at uh, looks at all of these and shows evidence where Forced vital capacity may be better than DLCO and others where DLCO looks as good as TLC and uh, FVC. So it really, you know, you look at this and maybe you come away more confused than you started out with. I come away thinking you probably should look at all three, FVC, TLC, and DLCO. I personally like FVC as being maybe the more predictive parameter. An interesting study comes from John Giles' group and published in J Room where they looked at the interventions necessary to get their RA patients vaccinated. So in their clinic of 228 patients, they looked and saw how many people were getting vaccinations. And it turns out, as in most studies, we're very bad at getting this done. About half of patients are, are receiving vaccinations as they should for influenza in this particular case. Um, the rates of failure to vaccinate were higher in younger, those with more infrequent visits, those who had high disactivity measured by high ESR, and those who had negative vaccine attitudes, what we might call vaccinots. Um, I think that's what we call them, at least that's what I call them. Um, they actually went about and, and had an intervention, a multimodal intervention that included uh, email reminders, education, um, uh, EMR alerts in the charts of patients as they came up. Uh, uh, and they sort of this multimodal uh, effort, they showed that their rate of the misinterventions, which was 47% prior to the intervention, was reduced to only 23%. So a 50% improvement uh, uh, in, in, in actually getting vaccines done. Uh, and I think that's quite commendable. This is something that we need to take responsibility for. And, and maybe if you could imp implement this with your EMR, um, discuss this with your colleagues, uh, go to education about this topic, maybe you'd have better rates of vaccination, at least with regard to influenza. An interesting study looked at the prothrombotic tendencies in rheumatoid arthritis. It was a small study of 85 patients using something called Rotem, which is rotational thromboelastometry. Throm rotational thromboelastometry. Sounds painful, but nonetheless has some predictive value. And what they found in their 85 patient cohort was that RA patients were much more likely to be prothrombotic and more likely to therefore may be at risk for DVTs and PEs and VTE in general. Those who were at such risk were those who had, not surprisingly, higher DESH um, CRP scores, uh, higher CRP levels, and higher platelet counts. 
So again, it tells us what we know, that our RA patients are at higher risk of uh, venous thromboembolic events. Uh, and one might could measure it in this, uh, using this methodology. Seems a little bit complicated to me. I think knowing and worrying about it in your patients might be the more prudent activity. Uh, the Data Safety Monitoring Board, DSMBs, I've been a part of them. They're very interesting groups. They only look at all the safety data. They get unblinded uh, data and they look at ways to show that the drug is both safe and sometimes even effective if that's the charge of the Data Monitoring Committee. Um, Regeneron had a study going on with its anti-nerve growth factor monoclonal antibody called Facinimab, uh, a phase three trial that was underway but actually was halted by the uh, data monitoring committee when they came up with the data showing that in a study that was looking at the intervention in OA patients with OA of the hip or knee or low back, um, that they saw a difference in the outcomes according to dose. And so they halted the study that was ongoing. They're going back to the drawing board. Um, problems were seen at one dose, but not at other doses. So it's likely they'll come back with other studies in the future and resume the investigation of this drug. This, again, this seems to be very effective therapy, um, but it gets uh, sidetracked by bad outcomes. And the bad outcomes have to do with the patients that they are studying, studying meaning these are patients with really severe osteoarthritis, end-stage disease. In previous studies, anti-nerve growth factor inhibitors led to more cases of accelerated OA, more uh, hip and knee replacements, more Charcot joint-like damage. Yeah, and, and that put those studies on hold until the FDA took a look at it and said, well, clearly it's the fact that this is really bad uh, patients who are just progressing. Uh, and especially when you, you uh, take pain out of the equation uh, and let them damage those joints a little bit more. Uh, so whether the, this kind of therapy will make it to the market remains to be seen, but it is a significant advance and does merit further study and further worry about the safety. Another data safety monitoring committee was formed for the CERT trial, C-I-R-T, run by, at a Harvard by Paul Ritker. This is the trial that rheumatologists are very interested in. This is the trial of methotrexate, not in RA patients, but in heart patients. Patients who have a high risk of cardiovascular events are randomized to receive either methotrexate or placebo, and they're looking at a composite cardiovascular outcome. A very large prospective trial, 7,000 patients, was halted recently because the Data Safety Monitoring Board, Data Monitoring Committee said, we have enough data. We can make our decisions based on the 4,786 patients enrolled. This is good news. That means that now they're going into analysis and they, uh, Ritker has said that they might have the data presented in time for the November 2018 heart meetings, which is around the same time as the ACR meeting. So it'd be interesting to see if this gets play in the, in the press or at the meetings, either at the heart meetings or at the arthritis meetings. Stay tuned. As you know, other interventions were successful in, with this regard, meaning the Canto study looked at the utility of IL-1 inhibition, canakinumab, in patients who had, again, cardiovascular risk, showed it did work. It showed that it also reduced the risk of, of cancer and uh, lung cancer. So again, uh, anti-inflammatory therapy in heart disease may become all the rage when this data becomes um, uh, more clear uh, and gets presented in, 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 a, in an educational forum where, and it gets peer reviewed, and et cetera. Um, RA patients have a twofold increased risk of fractures. We know this. Uh, a current paper in arthritis 
um, care and research looks at this uh, and relates this to CCP levels and to um, appendicular, appendicular, sorry, lean body mass, uh, we know that body mass and um, especially fat mass and whatnot, but lean body mass is not fat mass. And they looked at lean body mass and they showed it is associated with higher BMD scores. Not surprising. Uh, that has been shown before. But what was sort of new about this particular study was that higher titers of CCP was associated with lower levels of BMD. Uh, you might have sort of surmised that, but this is, I think, some of the first data to actually show that. Uh, and so I think that's important, especially when it comes to femoral neck BMD. Um, a few last studies. The FDA approved uh, this week uh, denosumab for use in glucocorticoid-induced osteoporosis, a major advance uh, in the osteoporosis world. As you know, uh, uh, heretofore for GIOP, we had to use either bisphosphonates or Forteo. With their uh, particular limitations, this addition is a significant one. Uh, we need more data um, and, and uh, about this and about how to treat, especially men who have osteoporosis and GIOP, but this is a significant advance. Uh, an interesting study comes uh, from um, uh, a Japanese cohort that looked at uh, a two-year study of 271 patients who had MPO-positive ANCA-associated vasculitis. Turns out that two-thirds of these patients had microscopic poly, uh, polyangiitis. Uh, as you know, in, the, in, South, in, in Japan, uh, um, microscopic polyangiitis is much more common than probably GPA. But in their study, they showed some very interesting results that patients who were treated, uh, MPO-positive patients with uh, ANCA-associated vasculitis who were treated, that in 72%, the MPO positivity normalized. And that when those patients were followed over time, those who had relapses, 40% uh, of them, uh, of patients who had normalized their, their MPO antibodies later had a recurrence of MPO antibodies, and that was associated with a higher risk of relapse, the odds ratio being greater than 26. So uh, this suggests that MPO um, antibody monitoring may be prudent in patients who have um, MPO-positive associated vasculitis. Uh, and microscopic polyangiitis.